This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM. I'm Kate Turkington and a very good afternoon to you. We're talking travel as we always do and anywhere you'd like me to talk about. I am like Puck. I've girdled the world a few times. Shakespeare's Puck. I don't know if he, she, it girdled the world many times, but I've certainly girdled the world a few times. So if there's anything you'd particularly like me to talk about or somebody you would like me to talk to, just let me know. The email address is kate at hi.co. And I always, as I say, once an English teacher, always an English teacher. And thanks, those of you who were my past students of Vits for sending me such nice emails and feedback. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Hi is, of course, the Jewish word for love, Laheim, one toast when you're making a toast. And so it's spelled C-H-A-I. So it's Kate at Hi.co. Okay, today in the first part of the program, we're going to be talking local, we're going to be talking domestic. As I always say to you, there is no country in the world like South Africa, believe me. Somebody once said to me, how many countries have you been to? I have absolutely no idea. I haven't had the time to count and I don't actually intend to count. Who cares? Who cares? I've just been to a lot of uh, places which I'm going to be telling you about or places that I'm going to uh, go to. I'm lucky enough this year to have been away every month except July. I didn't go away. I got awful flu and couldn't go away. But I've been to Namibia, I've been to Malta, I've been to many, many places within uh, South Africa. And it's still an affordable place to travel. If you take your rant and go to the States, you go to Israel, you go to anywhere, it's a very expensive uh, thing to do. But you must do it. I've said to you, you must do it. Go. We've, as far as we know, we've only got uh, one life a life that we can travel in. So let's do it while we can. And I keep thinking to myself, no, I'm not going, I'm going to slow down or maybe I'm not going to travel so much. And then somebody says, oh, well, come, I'm going off to see the Tigers in the Free State. That's another story in December. I'll tell you all about that uh, when before or after it happens. And I'm also going to be getting some lovely guests for you. And next week, I've got a very special guest uh, for you, as a, somebody I've been following since he was 19 years old. I've seen him in Cats. I've seen him in Phantom of the Opera. I've seen him at practically everything he's ever done in South Africa, our own Jonathan Rocksmith. And he's going to be coming on the program and telling us about his travels because as the lead in Phantom of the Opera, he has been to many, many uh, places. So he's going to tell us about his favourite places. And as I say, if there's somebody you would like me to talk to about travel, not about the meaning of life, but, <laughs> but about travel, you can email me at kate at high.co.za. After the break, we're going to be talking another wonderful local destination, 
Some of you may have been there, some of you may not, but wait and listen, and I'm going to tell you all about it. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, I'm Kate Turkington, and we're talking travel and For this segment of the program, I'm going to be talking about South Africa and things we can see and do in South Africa. And I'm going to start off, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story of a volcanic eruption that didn't happen, a very far-sighted traditional chief and his community, and one of the biggest animal relocations, I think, since Noah's Ark. Okay. If you'd been to Peelandsburg in Northwest Province, maybe 50 years ago, maybe, I don't know, 50, 40 years ago, you, all you would have seen, all you would have seen would have been desiccated farmland. And you might have noticed the very deep valleys that lie within this concentric ring of mountains. Valleys within a ring of mountains. But you may not have known that you were actually looking at one of only three such rock structures in the whole wild, wide world. And it's called a ring dike, a ring dike. And why didn't the volcano erupt? Because the magma had cooled beneath the ground, so there was no fiery lava or tumbling rocks or people killed like, let's say, Pompeii. Instead, the ground collapsed on itself, and that that made those valleys within that ring dike, within that ring of mountains. And you know, at one stage, one of those peaks before the collapse was actually higher than Mount Kilimanjaro. But today, I think the highest point in the Peelandsberg is about, I don't know, over 1,500 metres, not, not very high at all. Well, when I first went there, it was decades ago, and I was head of Fitch uh, TV, I went with uh, the Jenna. Johannesburg Rotary Club, and then we're building a school. Okay, bit of a long story. I won't tell you all about it. But one evening, we sat with the traditional chief of Bahatla Bar Hafela, Chief Palani, and his wife, who was a nursing sister. And she came to have supper with us. And there we were, surrounded by bags of cement and bricks and... and, uh, crackling fire, we were sitting around a crackling fire, and Chief Palani told us about a development plan he and his local community were working on. Well, at the time, it seemed an almost impossible dream, as you can imagine, a game reserve in this beautiful but barren area, and a lot of planning, local community uh, involvement, land ownership, sorted out. So Kersner had a, uh, a hand in this too. And what happened? We got the P. Landsberg Game Reserve. It's not called a national park, by the way, because it doesn't come under Sam Parks. It comes under the provisional, uh, provincial Northwest government. So it's only two hours from Johannesburg. You may well have gone there if you haven't 
go. You can self-drive or you can stay overnight. There's lots of accommodation uh, options. It's malaria-free, which is very big plus if you've got visitors or little ones. And it's actually the fourth largest game reserve in South Africa. Then what happened was an operation called Operation Genesis, and it was the biggest game resettlement program actually in our history. And they they put in not only animals that had once been there, like caracal and rebuck and leopard and brown hyena, but they also brought in other animals. They brought in rhino, elephant, lion, cheetah. And I don't remember, I don't know, but if you went there in the early days, the elephants very young, they brought in young teenage male elephants with no matriarch. Wrong, wrong. You know what happens with young teenagers when there's no matriarch. And the, the elephants were killing off the rhinos. I remember one day driving along think I'm, I'm going mad, I'm having hallucinations. There was an elephant attacking a rhino. And, of course, what happened, they finally brought in a couple of elephant matriarchs. And they got those teenagers sorted out in no time. They took them up to the north of the park. They didn't see the herd for quite a few months. And when they did find them, the teenagers had all been uh, disciplined by the the matriarchs. So a wonderful, a wonderful place to go. Lovely dams. Again, you can do bushwalks. You can take your own car. The roads, let me tell you, and particularly with the rain we've been having in Johannesburg at the moment, if you've got a sedan car, stay on the tarred road. If you've got an off-road vehicle or a big uh, 4x4, then you can do the uh, bush road. But you'll see so much. You're guaranteed, I promise you, you're guaranteed to see rhino. You're guaranteed to see elephant. All sorts of all sorts of uh, uh, animals and, of course, wonderful, wonderful uh, birds as well. It's an extraordinarily beautiful place, the Peelandsburgs, right there on the uh, Botswana uh, border. Very affordable entrance fees and, as I say, loads of places uh, to stay from camping sites at uh, Magnani, they've also got uh, chalets there, sort of mid-range will be some of the private game lodges. And then if you've got very deep pockets, a very, very fancy uh, private lodge. But lovely place to go. And as I say, less than two k's from from Johannesburg, two, sorry, two hours drive from Johannesburg on very, very uh, good roads. So go there. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM. I'm Kate Turkington. We're talking travel as we always do. And you can email me at kate at high.co.za. Hi, C-H-A-I, the Jewish word for love. Kate at high.co.za. Anaheim. I'd always wanted to visit Iceland. Now, why, you may ask. Well, one reason was I had a Swedish grandfather, so I thought, well, you know, I've got a bit of Viking uh, blood in me. Anyway, when I got to university, can you believe it, I chose to study 
Old Norse, among other things. But it was a, like a subsidiary subject. But I chose to study Old Norse, Old Icelandic. And can you believe, on two occasions, one of my lecturers was Tolkien. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, who wrote The Hobbit. And on television, uh, a few weeks ago, you could watch, actually, one of his books made into a television uh, series. Tolkien, my word, how lucky uh, was I. OK, so Iceland, the country of the Vikings. Remember, we're talking AD 900, all those hundreds of years ago. These Vikings, these Norsemen got into longboats and they rowed, they rowed all the way to America. Think about it. From Iceland to Newfoundland, they rowed in their longboats. And if you go to Oslo, the capital of Norway, you can go to the museum there and they actually have uh, one of those longboats that they dug up and they have restored. And not all that long, even though they were called longboats. And where the oars go through, where the oarsmen were rowing the boat, they have like little shutters. So at night, this was the only protection they had from the elements. At night, they would bring their oars in and close like the little wooden portholes and then just hunker down at the bottom of the boat. How tough. Must how tough must those Vikings have been to do that? So there we are. I'd always wanted to go to Iceland. And by the way, Icelandic remains one of the purest languages today in the world. A bit like the French, they have a very rigorous committee that doesn't allow new words to come into the language. Meanwhile, in French, you've got Le Weekend, you've got all sorts of things, but they've even invented their own words, like uh, the Icelandic word for a computer. My Icelandic accent isn't very good, so if anybody Icelandic is listening, I apologise. It's Dolva, which comes from the word Tala for number, but the other one I love, the, the word they use for a computer is Volva. And do you know what Volva means? Prophetess. Prophetess, the name for a computer. <laughs> Don't you love it? Anyway, I was very lucky and I went on quite a small boat, small in, in terms of cruise liners, of just 700 people. And I sailed from Southampton in England to Iceland, and we went via the Shetland Isles. I don't know if any of you have watched the TV series Shetland. If you haven't watched it, it's a crime series with the most wonderful hero, anti-hero, call him what you like. But it's set in Lurik, which is, which is spelled Lurwick, but it's pronounced Lurik, which is the capital of the uh, Shetland Isles, and it's the home of Shetland uh, ponies, and there's lots, not only of Viking settlements there, but they've got all kinds of medieval villages that you can go and visit. They've got loads of sheep, very fat woolly sheep, mountains, not very high mountains, green turf. If you go in spring, primroses, very grey city. It's a very grey, grey city, as you can imagine, being there in the, is it the North Sea or the Atlantic? I'm always a bit woozy about, I think it's the Atlantic, but put me, put me right if... Uh, 
I'm wrong. And actually, the Vikings, you know, they got a very bad reputation. You know, they went out and they just plundered and they ran off with women and, and heaven knows what. But in fact, they were pastoralists and they were farmers and they actually stayed in the Shetland Isles for 400 years. They built their villages there and had communities there and stayed there for 400 years. Anyway, we sailed from the Shetland Isles uh, to the northern shores of uh, Iceland and cross the Arctic Circle. And there's, when you do that, there's no sunrise and no sunset. It's just daylight, or well, not all day long, or all night uh, too. So at midnight, I remember standing by the ship's rail and you could see way off into the horizon. And if you're very lucky, I didn't on that occasion, you can see the northern lights flickering in the sky. That That's quite a thing to see. I was very lucky. I, I saw them once when I was in the north of Norway. And once I was flying back from uh, the US to... Oh, do you remember that dreadful, dreadful um, volcanic eruption in Iceland with an unpronounceable name? I think it was about 10 years ago. And it disrupted flights all over the world and I was in Washington DC at the time and when we flew back we had to fly on some very circuitous route back to South Africa to miss the dust from the volcano and as we flew over some very northern skies I think it was near Japan somewhere we could see the northern lights from the plane and the captain came on and he said now don't all rush to one side of the plane at the same time he said rose x to z you go first to the right hand side of the plane you got a wonderful view of the northern lights and then we went in turn and had a look breathtaking but you can see them from iceland you can see them from finland the top of uh, scandinavia there and iceland itself it's like it's like a landscape no other. It is so dramatic. It's got volcano craters. It's got lava lakes, gorgeous, majestic waterfalls, clouds of steam. There are like geothermal pools beside all the roads, which are bubbling, and steam's uh, coming out because most of the interior of Iceland is ice and glaciers. It's uninhabitable. That's why people live. It's one of the least less populated countries in the world. People live on the shores, on the edge of ice, and they don't live, they actually don't live in the uh, middle. And I can remember scrambling over a geothermal field, and it had seething sulfur pits and boiling mud pools and steam vents and bubbling hot springs and fumaroles which are like holes in the ground with steam coming out. It was like it was like, I don't know, some medieval version of hell, but dramatically beautiful, dramatically uh, beautiful. And by the way, heating is no problem in Iceland, which is just as well because Icelanders rarely uh, see the sun. And even in summer, the average temperature is only about 15, 15 uh, degrees. But it's one of the richest countries in the world 
obviously in its unharnessed energy. And it's also reputed to have the world's cleanest air and the freshest water. And something I loved, in your garden, you could actually bake what they call geyser bread. Geyser, as they say in the States, geyser bread. So you make your dough and you go into your garden and there's a nice little bubbling hot pool uh, in your garden and you pop it in there and you leave it overnight and in the morning you've got freshly baked bread for uh, breakfast. Very famous Icelandic ponies, like their language, they protected them totally. No other breed has ever, ever been brought into Iceland, only the Icelandic ponies themselves. And they look a bit like the old Thelwall ponies. They're sturdy little ponies with very truculent uh, faces who are looking at you. And reindeer, too. You see uh, reindeer, too. And why did... I play Game of Thrones music at the beginning because a lot of the series Game of Thrones was shot in Iceland. Like I was telling you last week, a lot was shot in Northern Ireland too. But what is so interesting, just forget Game of Thrones for a moment, over 70% of Icelanders believe in elves. Elves. They're these very peaceful, supernatural creatures that live in rocks and lava fields. And we were told many a road, or if they're building new roads, it takes an unexpected twist or turn because they won't move rocks. Because where do elves live? They live in rocks and they're not going to disturb the elves. They also have trolls, by the way, but they live uh, they live in the highlands. If you're a bird watcher, you'll be in raptures over 300 species of birds, waterfalls. And you may or may not know this, but Iceland actually has the oldest democracy in the world. All the villages, all the communities used to have something like we have in South Africa and in Darba. So all the people would come together. They were called things, things. People would come together once a month, every few weeks, whatever, and they would sit with their chief at the thing and they would beat out local issues. Why has this man taken my piece of land? Why has my fence gone down? Why has my woolly sheep gone? And then once a year, they had this enormous gathering of people from all over Iceland called the All Thing the all thing. And that's where the rulers of the land, very democratic, things were thrashed out that the local communities couldn't thrash out for themselves. And geysers and waterfalls and, oh, it's an amazing country to visit. It's a country we can still visit, touch wood, Nothing bad has happened there. Lovely place to visit. Take a small ship or you can fly to Reykjavik. Take your woolies. Take your warm clothes too because it's quite a cold country. But it's a country like no other in the world. Remarkable history. Steam everywhere. Friendly people. Black lava. Snow-capped mountains. And of course, lots of filming went on there. If you did watch Game of Thrones, the wall, remember the wall in Game of Thrones, that huge wall of rock and ice, that was filmed there too. So, Iceland, 
think about it. Not many people think about going to Iceland, but it's a country you will never forget. This is Kate Turkington on Travels with Kate. 101.9 High FM, Kate Turkington, and I'm talking books. Books you might like to read when you're travelling. Books you might like to read when you're armchair travelling. Books you might like to read when you're sitting in an aeroplane on a ship. I don't know, waiting for your Uber or whatever. Books. And a lovely, lovely book. And this would make a great pretty birthday present, a festival book, what, whatever. It's Kruger self Drive, routes, roads, and ratings. So as they say in the states, routes, routes, roads, and ratings. Kruger Self Drive. It's published by HPH Publishing, and it's by Vandenberg. I have been reading there, using their books for years and years and years. What is it? It's exactly what it says: routes, roads, and ratings. Gorgeous photographs, gorgeous photographs by some of the best wildlife photographers in South Africa. Maps, totally up-to-date maps, totally up-to-date information. So it selects routes for you from all the camps in the park, and I'll give you an example in a moment. It gives you a detailed guide to all the roads in the park, so it will tell you what the vegetation is, what the game viewing opportunities are, the history, as well as photographs taken on that specific road. So these aren't just like summer photographs they've collected wildlife. No, if you're actually driving from Skakusa down to Loisabi, the photographs you see will be the photographs they've taken on that particular route. So very, very special. And then the ratings, which is very important. The roads are rated not only according to what the road is like, I mean, what the surface is like, but to the probability of what you're going to see. So it will tell you that this perhaps is a good road for predators or or eland or scenic beauty or birding uh, Um, opportunities and then there's a very good appendix at the back which is an animal a bird and a tree guide so if you have been to Crook and I'm sure most of you many of you have and if you haven't or, or whatever it really is a superb book to take with you as a companion and I'm just going to give you an example I've opened the book at the H6 the Nonetsi Road. Those of you who know Kruger know that Nonetsi Road actually goes from Satara to the Nonetsi picnic site. So it tells me it's a four-star road. It tells me it gives stars for for each rating. So there's four stars for predators. So your chances, obviously, five star being the highest. Four star means you've got a very, very good chance of uh, seeing predators. I don't think I have ever, ever driven along that Nonetsi Road and not seen lions. Okay, uh, it tells you it's three star for antelope, for buck, three star for birds and raptors, and three stars for different kinds of trees. Tell it, you know, saying to you that five stars is the absolute uh, 
maximum. And then it tells you it's 19 k's, it's tarred, and it actually traverses two eco zones. And there's a lovely, the Nonetsi picnic site's a lovely picnic site. You climb up, you can uh, bry, you've got loos there, you've got wonderful uh, views from there. You could look down at the river below and watch the hippos all lying on the banks, that big, great, big, fat black ticks, I think they always look when they're out of the uh, water. So it tells you it's buffalo country. And of course, if you've got buffalo, you're almost certainly going to get lions uh, following them. You get cheetah. I've seen cheetah. Mind you, large cheetah sighting I had along there was like two ears and whiskers in thick bush. But you know, any of you who've been to the bush or are going to go to the bush, you know, don't think it's going to be like National Geographic. It may well be, but also it might be quite a quiet day. But it's not just about seeing lions and cheetahs. It's about enjoying the trees. It's about watching that leopard tortoise cross the road. Never pick up a tortoise, by the way, because they excrete a body fluid. No, it's not we. They actually excrete a body fluid, and it will take a long time for them to make that uh, body fluid up. So never pick up a, never pick up a, a tortoise. You'll see dung beetles. You'll see birds. Your birding is in fact very, very good. The book says at the picnic uh, site. Look out! It says for the euphorbia trees, which only apparently civets and black rhinos eat, because euphorbia is quite poisonous to people and a lot of uh, animals. And then a, a Beautiful lookout point with shaded seating there. So it's a book that really, and that's the kind of thing, it might be quite a remote route somewhere in the north of the park. It might be a more popular route like the one I, I talked about earlier, the one from uh, Skakusa down to Lower Sabi. But really, it is so, so helpful. And it's a beautiful book. I mean, it is absolutely a beautiful coffee table uh, book as well. So it's called Kruger Self-Drive Roots, Roads and Ratings. It's by Vandenberg. And by the way, this is the second edition, fully revised, fully updated, and it's published by HBH Publishing. And the website is hphpublishing.co.za hphpublishing.co.za. So if you've been to Kruger, you couldn't decide on the best route to take, or if you're going to go Kruger Self-Drive, it's, it really is Roots, Roads and Racings, the book for you. And next week, I'm going to have a great guest for you, somebody you will know. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he's going to be talking about his travel. And in the weeks coming up, I'm also lining up guests to talk about their travels, where they want to go, where they have been. And as I said earlier, if you would like me to talk to somebody, let me know. Kate at high.co.za. And I'll see you next week.